Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing over this, all over this world today, all the ways you are saving people, redeeming, unleashing, convicting, just for every activity of yours today, we give you thanks. Thank you, God, that today we celebrate you as the great I am. At no point in history have you ever become the great I once was or the great I will be again one day. You still are right now in this moment the great I am. We thank you, God, for conquering the grave and that you have made this same power available to us today. We thank you, God, that you are faithful when we are faithless. You heal us when we need it and sometimes even when we don't. You convict us when we ask for it and sometimes when we don't even ask for it. God, there are people in this room right now who are hanging on by a thread. The stress of life is caught up to them. There's, there's tension. There's, there's a rub and Maybe in a physical life or in the spiritual realm, I ask God for your presence, your peace to be with them today. There are those here who have been on cruise control for far too long, and they're in need of your Holy Spirit to wake them up and to call them back into the activity in your kingdom and what it means to follow Jesus. God, I ask that you be with me uh, in the words I speak today, that I will be a vessel, that I will be faithful to you in what I say and what I present to these folks today. God, have your way with us in the name of Jesus, the whole church said. Amen. Um, it's amazing how fast cell phones have taken off in our world. There are a lot of us in this room that remember what it was like to live in a world with no cell phones. In some ways, that was amazing. In some ways, we would ache for cell phones if we did not have them. I grew up, and a lot of us grew up in a time when we didn't have portable phones when I was first growing up. You had to talk on a phone that had a cord connected to a wall and you either had to stand there in a stationary position or sit down on the ground to talk on the phone. When portable phones came out, it was a whole, I mean, you could pace around. You couldn't go walk a dog because you had to stay within like 20 feet of, of where that phone was connected to. But portable phones began to change things. I grew up all of my childhood. We never had a cell phone. Even when I went to college, we didn't. And what we had to do is anytime the phone would ring in the house, we had to kind of look around the room of who was going to get it. We knew when the phone rang between the hours of three and six, there was a good chance that was for my mom and my dad about work or relatives calling. But we knew if the phone call was from seven to 10, most likely it was for one of the three kids. And if the phone rang after 9.30, my dad would look at one of us and say, go and get it. It's one of your friends. Quit telling them to call so late, all right? Because my dad, anything after 9.15 was late. And there were times when we would let the phone, the, the, whoever was calling, we would let it go to voicemail if we were in a family meeting or were around a meal and we didn't want distractions. But most of the time when the phone rang, the question wasn't, is someone going to get it? The question was, who's going to get it? And sometimes dad or mom would say, hey, you go get the phone, or whoever was closest would answer the phone. But the question was never, if we're going to get it, it's when we're going to get it. When God calls today, do we answer? When God calls today for the church, the question shouldn't be, who's going to get it? Or the question should be, who's going to get it? We've got to answer it to hear, what is it that God wants? What is God calling us to do? And I guess we have to even begin with, do we feel like God still calls today? And if so, in what capacity? And what is God calling of us? I want to lead you through three different call stories in the gospel of Mark today. 
there are three different times when Jesus is calling people, and I want to look at these because I think they reveal something about the heart and nature of God. I want to remind us, last week in Mark chapter 1, and some people say this is like the foundation of the gospel of Mark, that Mark needs to be read with this in mind. In Mark 1, 14, 15, Jesus declares this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, and he says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus announces this, and when Jesus announces good news, Jesus invites people to enter into the good news. So Jesus doesn't announce a kingdom that's a far-off dream, and he doesn't announce a kingdom that's really far away. He says the kingdom of God has come near, like the kingdom of God is now right here in front of you, and now Jesus is going to invite people to come into the kingdom. We're in a 15-week series right now on the Gospel of Mark. The next 12 weeks, we're going to be studying Mark 1 through 10, and then we're going to take a little break for Christmas and the beginning of the year. I'm going to come back in Easter next year and preach Mark 11 through 16. So we're in the, the life and ministry of Jesus for the next few weeks. I invite you to read the book of Mark, listen to the book of Mark, take notes about the book of Mark. I can't wait for us to see all that Jesus is going to teach and reveal to us. I've called it reframed, that I read Mark through two blind stories that happen in Mark 8 and Mark 10, that Jesus is always trying to open up the eyes of his people because Jesus does not want us to follow him in a way where we can only partially see. He wants us to follow him in a way where we begin to fully see who he is and what God is calling us to be about. So does God still call today? And if so, how does this happen? Let me, let me just try to break this down for you in a few ways that may be helpful. We, we would love sometimes for theology and for questions like this, does God still call, does God still speak? We would love for this to fit in some formula or some pattern. And I'm sure there's a book out there some way, four ways God calls people. But the thing about God is you cannot put God in some formula or f- force him into some pattern. Because any formula or pattern we try to fit God into, he's going to break out of somehow, some way. But here's something about God. There are times when the call of God is going to come in your life and it is going to be a vague calling. It may not be really specific. Today, God may not ask you to go to one specific restaurant. God may not ask you to go to one specific grocery store. God may not ask some of you to marry one specific person. There may be, you can make a choice of many things in life. Sometimes the call of God may be vague and it may not be too specific, but the call of God for all of us is a call into faithfulness and loyalty and commitment in all things. There are times when God's going to call specific people into ministry one day. In a ministry where people work for the church and it's something we need to pray for and steward well as a church for the women and men in this church who may feel the call of God to go into some kind of work with the church of how can we help bring that gift to life in every way. But for most of you in this room, God's not going to call you to work for a church one day, but God is going to call you into some activity in his kingdom where you are a minister of God. And when it comes to the call of God, something I think is so helpful for me is uh, that God is sometimes vague. Sometimes it is very detailed of what God, God is calling us to do. Some people, it is in ministry. Some people, it may not be in ministry. It's always a call to faithfulness. It's a call to hearing. It's a call to obedience. So I want you to open your Bibles at Mark chapter 3. And let's begin in Mark 3. This isn't the first call story. But in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 16, here's what it says. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. 
He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 that he appointed. And then he goes on to name the names. Now, here's the thing about this, all right? This isn't the first call story in the book of Mark. I want to get to those in a minute. But when Jesus calls people, he, he delegates to people. And this really blows me away about God, that God does this. In the very beginning, in creation, God did this. God created human beings, and then God gave them responsibility. Uh, and here's the thing, all right? When it comes to leadership in any capacity in your life, for those of you who lead organizations, businesses, for those of you who are leading classrooms, for those of you who are leading families, in any way of being a leader, a principle I've learned from from numerous people, Jim Hinkle has helped teach me this, is that there are times when you know that there is a task that you can get, you can do, and if you do it, you will do an A-plus job because you're confident in your word, you know what it is that needs to be done, but if you delegate it, it may be a B-plus job. But you're delegating this someone in a way where you're equipping them, you're giving them responsibility, you're giving them a chance to have experience, and in the long run, the B-plus delegation may end up leading your family, your organization, your business, your church into a healthier place because you have chosen to delegate. But this is hard, right? So why would Jesus ask people to go do something that Jesus could do a far better job at? Why would Jesus tell people to go and preach when Jesus knew he could go to those same places and preach way better sermons than anyone Jesus is asking people to go preach for? Why would Jesus ask anyone to go drive out a demon when Jesus could go right up to any of those demons and drive them out way better than any human could drive out a demon? Why would Jesus ask people to go heal diseases when Jesus knew he could drive out diseases and heal diseases better than anybody? And you, through Jesus, see something about the heart of God. That the way God has chosen to operate is that God extends authority. God is asking us to come and share in his ministry. So Jesus came walking on the earth. And the way Jesus called people wasn't saying, hey, I've got some work to do, and I want you to sit down and watch me do all the work. It's that Jesus said, I've got some work to do, and now I'm asking you to be actively engaged in how this work is happening throughout the world. It's not just sit and watch. It's sit and watch so you know who Jesus is, but it's to be actively engaged in what God is doing in the world. He gives these these disciples three specific things to do. Number one, and the Bible doesn't say first and foremost, but I'm going to say first and foremost. Number one is this, to be with him. So before Jesus asked people to do anything ministry-related, service-related, compassion, justice-related, it's first and foremost, you need to be with me. You need to be with me even in moments when you don't feel like there is a connection with me. You need to be with me and commit to time with me, even in those, not just days, but for some of you in long seasons where you may feel the absence of God, or it feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, that they're not going anywhere. There's a commitment. I'm going to be with God, even when I don't feel a connection, trusting that somehow in this moment, in this commitment, this covenant with God, that that God is doing something in my heart. He's preparing me for something. You be with him. Secondly is to preach is that at some point in your life, when we begin to follow Jesus, we have something to say to people. Now, one of the problems is that some of you don't wait for God to tell you it's time to speak. We just begin to speak, and we end up burning bridges. 
that we live in a time where relational equity really matters. And it may take weeks, months, maybe years for you to walk with people and eat with people and get to know people and hang out with people before the moment comes when God presses on your heart that, hey, now is the time for you to, you, you, need, to, you need to take this conversation about Jesus to a whole nother level. Now, for me, this conversation with other people can often go north and south a lot quicker than for most of you. I was in an Uber last night going from the airport back home. Had 18 minutes in an Uber. And I'm in that Uber with this guy who didn't seem like he wanted to talk, but I'm wrestling with, okay, somehow, someway, can I have a conversation about Jesus? I have 18 minutes. And for me, conversations go north and south the most of you, because if they ask, what do you do for a living? However, I respond to that could intensify how this conversation goes or could totally kill the conversation. So how do I respond? If I say that I work with people, is that lying? Because that may gain a little more traction than if I just come out and say, man, I'm, I'm a preacher, I'm a minister, I'm a clergy, I'm a pastor. Because from there, the response is either, well, tell me more about that. What church do you work for? What kind of work do you do? Or it could be, they reach for the radio and they turn it up louder. <laughs> but in our lives, at some point, we got something to say. You be with Jesus. We're asking God to give us courage and boldness and wisdom. So we speak of Jesus. And then Jesus calls them to have authority over demons. Don't look at that and think that Jesus gave them a mission to drive out demons. He gave them authority to drive out demons. In the Great Commission, Jesus says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what Jesus chose to do with that authority was to extend it and to give it to his people in the church. And if there's one thing I think God's trying to wake the church up to today is that inside of you, there is authority that has been given by the resurrection of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit where you have authority. So there are times when there may be something evil happening and our response doesn't need to be, well, I mean, if you would please kind of move out of this person somewhere else, you know, we would just, it's in the name of Jesus, we have authority to declare upon evil, upon anything that is setting self, itself up against the greatness of Jesus. He gave them, hey, I want you to be with me. You got something to say. And you have authority over evil. Amen. And he calls them out. And for those 12 men in Mark 3, and I think today if Jesus was doing this, it would be male and female. For then, 12 Jewish men, Jesus is calling them to go out. And for those 12 men, this was not the first time Jesus called them. This was not the first time Jesus said, follow me. Because for you, the mouth of Jesus isn't just going to say, follow me one time in your life. It's Jesus on repeat. It's the phrase that keeps coming. He called you at some point in your life. He's called you into conversion. For those of you who have never given your life to Jesus, you've never been baptized, the invitation of Jesus, the call of Jesus to follow him will continue to come into your life. But for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, the call of Jesus continues to come so that we can go with God into deeper places. The first call in the book of Mark happens in chapter 1. 
So if you want to turn back, chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, and here's how it goes down. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little further... He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Here's what is hopeful. Here's something that hopefully is encouraging to you. Is that in this moment, Jesus goes and he calls people who had given their lives to commercial fishing. He calls ordinary people into activity in the kingdom. When it came time for Jesus to call his first disciples, Jesus didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't go to church. He didn't go to a seminary. Jesus calls people who the world would think that's the last person I I would have thought that Jesus would have called into relationship with him, into covenant, into work with him. He calls the people you would never think. He calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the kingdom. And it happens so easily. This is one thing that baffles me about some of these call stories, especially this one. I mean, when you read that, it it seems so easy. Jesus says something. He's like, hey, follow me. I'm going to give you a whole new job. And the guy, like, there's no response from these fishermen. For Peter, James, John, like, there's no, their only response is they just go with Jesus. They don't pause and say, no, can you explain to me, like, what are we going to be doing? What's the pay for this job? Is it better than what I'm making right now? What are the benefits? Like, the dad, Zeb, doesn't even step in and say, hold up there, hang on. Like, where, where are you taking my kids? What are you asking them to do? It's just Jesus says, come follow me, and they go. Amen. Was their job that bad? Were they that dissatisfied that they woke up that day and they're like, whoever comes today and offers me a job, I'm going. I don't care what it is. Because some of you are in that place right now. You know it. You know this week if somebody came to your workplace and said, I got a new job. You want to come with me? You're going to just, you are out of there. You are gone. Raise your hand if that's you. All right, don't raise your hand because your boss may be in here. Stop it. <laughs> and hopefully the seven ministers in this church weren't the ones who were like, that's me. All right. Were they dissatisfied? Or, or I wish I had a lot longer this morning to try to explain to you the rabbi-student, the Jewish teacher-student relationship. Because I think something here is that this isn't the first time they've heard about Jesus. I, I think there was a reputation of Jesus, respect that was already there for Jesus, that when Jesus says, I've got something for you, I've got a mission and I'm asking you to come for them, for Jesus to look at them and say, follow me, there's no way they could say no to that. And today, Jesus is still looking at people throughout the world saying, follow me. But here's what I think puzzles me, maybe even more than than them just going without asking any questions, is that, I mean, they left everything to follow Jesus. They left their job, family, everything to follow him, which leads me to this question. I'm not placing this question on you for for it to be a heavy burden or or to cause some conviction that may not be of the Lord, but... In your life, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to following Jesus, can you name one thing you've had to leave to follow Jesus? Uh, Because, I mean, honestly, we live in a world, even in America today, there are a lot of people who make decisions to follow Jesus, and it's almost like they don't have to leave anything to do it. Raising the church, baptized at the age of 9, 10, 11, 12, and just remain in the church. 
Can you name one thing you've had to leave for Jesus? Here's where I think this was encouraging for the church. Because remember, Mark is probably writing the churches who were in Rome, who were suffering some forms of persecution. And these are Christians and believers reading these call stories. And I think they would be encouraged by this. Encouraged to know that the call of Jesus and to commit your life to Jesus will for the rest of your life be a life of making sure that everything you have and everything you are is fully devoted to the cause of Christ. That we're not just ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, we're all in. Now, the call of God on many of you in this room when it came to conversion or for some of you right now who may even be wrestling with faith, it hadn't been this easy. It hadn't been the voice of God saying, come to me and you just automatically respond. You have doubts, you have confusion and I believe God works in all of that and through all of that, Jesus continues to call, hey, I've got a deeper place. Will you come with me into a deeper place? And this isn't the only call story in Mark. There's another one. Mark chapter two. And it's this, in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me. And Jesus told him, and Levi got up, and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So there are a lot of other stories we don't even like, know or read about in Scripture. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said this. I love this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. Every call story in the gospel of Mark is followed by a story of opposition and or rejection and or unbelief. And I think we know this. There are a lot of times when people give their lives to God in the life of this church or at church camp where we celebrate a baptism and a lot of times I hear people who the prayer they pray immediately after that is that God, whatever has happened today, we know that the enemy is not happy with this. We know that Satan isn't happy with this. When Jesus was baptized, the very next story is the temptation of Jesus. In Mark 1, when Jesus calls his first followers, the very next story is demon possession. In Mark 3, the first story I talked about today, the very next story is that there are Pharisees and teachers of the law who are really upset. And they're even trying to wrestle in their own mind. Is Jesus really of God or is Jesus of Satan? In chapter 2, Levi follows Jesus. And then the response is there are people who are questioning table fellowship. Notice in Luke chapter 2 with Levi that people aren't upset about conversion they were upset about the new table and the fellowship Jesus was creating. They weren't upset about the person who was choosing to follow Jesus. They're frustrated that there's whole new community. Have you ever heard or known of a church before that is operating in a way where we say, we'll baptize you, but we're not going to give you a voice at the table. We're going to baptize you, but you don't have a place at the table. 
For over a hundred years in America, this happened with race. There were a lot of churches that wouldn't even allow people of color to be baptized. And then they began allowing people of color to be baptized in their churches, but not a place at the table. There are many churches We'll baptize you, but if you're a woman, there's no place at the table or a very, very, very limited table. And this is something as a church in the world we live in today that we're going to have to wrestle with for the rest of our lives is do we deny baptism to anyone? Because I don't think the answer would be yes. If you know anyone in your life who there's a stirring in their heart to come to God, I don't think anyone's going to deny baptism or deny conversion to them. But what does it mean to welcome them at some kind of table? And we're going to have to wrestle with this, with Muslims who are giving their lives to Jesus, with people who align with the LGBTQ community who are surrendering their lives to Jesus, for any other group that is out there, for people who battle deeply with mental illness. What does it mean to have a table that honors the kind of table Jesus set up? And Jesus is at a table with people. You know he's going to be calling all of them to deeper forms of righteousness. So it's not that Jesus is just affirming everything and everybody at that table But the people who oppose Jesus the most, the people in Jesus' ministry, in the Gospels, who consistently oppose Jesus the most, were not atheists. They were people who knew the Bible the best. The people who consistently opposed Jesus were the people who had perfect attendance at church and synagogue. They studied the Bible every single day, and they could not wrap their minds around a new, fresh wave of the movement of God. That why would God call together a community like that? A good uh, physician, which Jesus was, and good leaders, and good people like most of us, if not all of us, aspire to be, are not people who try to master the skill of casting judgment. Rather, we are people who live with God to provide healing for the world. And Jesus declares that he did not come for those who are well. It's those who are sick. And relationships are healed best when people eat together. Amen? Especially ice cream together. Relationships (laughs) go to a whole nother level. (laughs) Dick Dick Butkus was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Hall of Fame linebacker. This dude was mean. If I walked into Kroger and I saw this dude on the cereal aisle and I needed some cereal, I'm going to go to the bread aisle and wait about five minutes and then go to the cereal aisle. And there was a running back named Floyd Little, played for the Denver Broncos, Hall of Fame running back. And one day there was a collision in a game between Floyd and Dick Buckus. And Buckus rung his bell. But Floyd had this notion in his life, this mentality, he never wanted to think Somebody else would think that they got the best of him. So Floyd jumped up after getting hit. And he looked at Buckus and he said, is that all you got? And Buckus said, are you all right, Floyd? And Floyd said, man, I'm good. Is that all you got? Can you not hit me any harder than that? And Buckus looked at Floyd and said, are you okay, Floyd? And Floyd said, why do you keep asking me that? And Buckus said, because you're in the wrong huddle, Floyd. Levi was in the wrong huddle. And not only that, Jesus began to get in trouble 
because he was in the wrong huddle. He's with the wrong people. And it's this that set people, his opposition on a path of in that moment, knowing, man, we, we've got to take out Jesus. The call of God will continue to come into your life. The call of God will continue to invite you. The call of God will continue to confront you. The call of God will continue to come for you. And it is very possible in our lives to get so busy washing nets and cleaning our boats and dealing with taxes, taking care of the kids, working in our jobs that we maybe miss the call or we hear it and fail to respond. But the call of God comes to the church to live in a way where we take seriously in our lives, where we are not aligned with the heart of God, and to live in a way where we are pursuing people in the world who are not aligned with Jesus, to love them in a way where they hear and they see in our lives how great Jesus is. So this morning, if you're in need of prayer, if there's any way in your own life you need to be aligned better with who God is, if there's a sense of a call of God in your life and you're struggling to discern it or there is a call of God on your life and you just need the courage to live into it, I invite you today, if you're, for our prayer leaders, will you go ahead and go to your spots today to receive people for prayer? And if there's anything we can do for you, if there's someone who would love to surrender their life to Jesus today, you hear the call of God and it's time for you to respond, we invite you to come to the front. We have prayer leaders for you. Let's stand together and let's sing as a church.